0: Hello and welcome to Grace Life Stella we are a gospel-centered church family focused on reaching the unreached and making disciples. We pray this teaching will help you to grow in your relationship with Jesus and discover more of the reality of Christianity. Like I posted on our WhatsApp group, if you're not on our WhatsApp group and you need to have Get the announcements there's some qr codes at the back where you can speak to the team you can speak to my lisa she can add you and it's really just a way for us to get the announcements to you but um like just felt stirred this week to to really meditate on um what has changed me and and what has changed us and why we exist even and i think as a whole like the grace let's call it the grace revolution like some people will term it um at one stage, grace was like almost unheard of, and then it was almost rebellious or secretive. And now it's much more common in a way that you don't get uh, crucified for being a grace church. Um, some people call themselves grace church. I don't think we have to because we are Grace Life, uh, so it's sort of inheriting the name. Um, but then you get different ways and different people and different understandings of that. And I met a guy um, when we were actually still in, uh, in Technopark. And he said to me, "Oh, yeah, I know. he's a, he's looking for a grace church, but you know, not that hyper grace stuff." So I smiled. I said, "No, that's fine. Like you, you, you learn not to, not to cut people off, amen. Because I'll show you that we are very much hyper grace, super abundant hyper grace, and that's not why. Um, it's not because we want to be. It's because what the word says. If you if you understand the Greek or you do some study there, you'll see that. And I'll show you in a moment. But what is grace?" What is grace? You see, we've, we've become accustomed to it, and we've grown used to it, and maybe we think it's the forgiveness of sins. Well, it is, but it includes that. It's not only that. And what is the message then that we have? Well, yeah, it's Jesus dying on a cross for what? Okay, it's for your sins, but the message more is the message of the resurrection. Because we often camp on the foot of the cross where Jesus is on the other side of the grave. I'm going to say that again. As Christians, we like to camp at the foot of the cross when Jesus is off the cross, in the grave, out the grave, and ascended. Okay, so we need to start living where Jesus is, not where he was. Okay, I'm going to go slowly. And I'm not, I don't have any shockers today. Someone asked me the other day, what shocking statement did you make on Sunday this week? I said, nothing. <laughs> I never make a shocking statement, I just bring the truth. Amen? The word says, do not be ashamed of the gospel. I guess I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I've been crucified. I've been blasphemed, probably. <laughs> you can't blaspheme me. No? You can't only blaspheme the Lord. I've been persecuted. I've been told, like, you, 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 you read the Bible wrong and you make it too easy and all those things. I don't care. I know what changed me. I know where I used to be and I know where I'm now. Like in the book of Acts, they, the, the, the Pharisees cannot understand this guy that's now walking. And at the end of the day, he says himself, he says, one thing I know. Amen. Basically, this morning I couldn't work and walk and now I'm standing in front of you. I don't understand the science. I don't understand the doctrine. I just know one thing. And even his parents don't back him up. They throw him for the wolves. Because they are so about pleasing people. Now, the problem is in pleasing. The problem comes in with performance. And in the culture and the way that we, are grow, we, we, we grow up, where we grow up, how we grow up, it's all performance-based. And it's a massive challenge to be raising two boys and not default to performance-based. What is performance-based? Do good, get good, do bad, get bad. Some people would say, do good, get good, do bad, get beat. Because it's inherently in the way that we live. Like you know if you're late for work, you're going to be in trouble. If you're early and you perform, then you get a bonus. You do good, you get good. Now, how do you know that you do good? And how do you know when you do bad? It's a knowledge, isn't it? Inherently, you know what is good, and inherently, you know what is bad. And then the the world came up with this concept called ethics, and ethics is where they try and blur the lines, like what is now really good and what is really bad. And I had ethics as a subject at university, and I always had to write not what I felt, because... They weren't looking for the Christian answer. And I wanted to pass the subject, okay? I wasn't preaching, I was just trying to pass the subject. But it's, it's trying to blur the lines. But you know what? The fact of the matter is, if we operate like that, we are not operating as God intended. Because if we go back to the garden, there were two trees. And the one tree... The one that we should not have eaten of is called the tree of knowledge of what is good and what is evil. The tree of performance. The tree of trying to be right with God, knowing how to. So can I make a, let's make a statement. You can decide if it's shocking or not. God is not at all concerned with your sin. Let me rephrase that just a little bit. The only reason why God would be concerned about your sin is if you or someone else is getting hurt. Not because you're blemishing his family portrait. You know, it's when you take a photo, you have a brother who's in prison, and your mom arranges... My mom didn't do this. I don't have a brother in prison. I'm making a story. You know your brother's coming out of prison next week Sunday. You're going to go and fetch him, and you're going to make the scar boat and welcome him back. But just to be safe, your mom has arranged a photo shoot for Saturday. <laughs> and often we think about God in that way, like He's just trying to have everyone perfect, trying to have everyone squeaky clean, trying to not blemish or not have a bad reputation for what's sinners or hurting people or anything like that, where in fact, in, right in the beginning, He said, do not... Do not eat of, do not believe in, do not live according to, do not align yourself with what is good and what is evil. So we have to go all the way back to decide or discern if we are really free. Think about that. Like We we, we think grace is being forgiven for what is bad. But right in the start, God said, don't live according to what is good and what is bad. What did he invite us into, rather, to live according to what is life. So when we minister to someone, we're not ministering what is good and what is wrong, or, or, or yeah, what is right and what is wrong. We're ministering life, because they're dead. I was watching a, a, something on television this week, and uh, it was really, like, touchy. In that it was this squeaky clean church that was dying. There was no one there except very old people. And then there's other people who wasn't like filling the the mold starting to come into church. And these squeaky clean people wasn't happy with it. And what the the storyteller did really well is he he put the squeaky clean people on the one side of the church and then all the other people on the other side of the church. And then they started speaking about my people and your people. And the problem is that the church's doors are often closed for the people who need it most. So what we see in sinners is not what God sees. Because Jesus himself said when he looked at the multitude of sinners. He says, I see them as sheep without a shepherd. People destitute of truth. Dead. Instead of alive. Not sinners who has to come right. Perform better. Do better. Because for God it's really about life and death. And the world then makes it about black and white. But that's not the case. But He makes it not just about life, He makes it about eternal life. So the Word says in 2 Peter 3 18 that we should increase in grace. So when do you stop? So maybe you think like, no, i got this grace thing. and I mean, I've been in grace life now for 11 years. So maybe we think we have grace down. But every so often God brings us back and says, hey, there's more. There's more, there's more. It says, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So that's not two things. So our Lord, the knowledge of our Lord is the knowledge of grace. The doctrine of Jesus is the doctrine of grace. For to Him is glory now and forever. The Passion says, continue to grow and increase in God's grace and intimacy with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Continue to grow and increase. So there is an invitation there to do what? To know more about grace, Amen? to grow and understand more and understand better. The Aramaic there uses an imperative, but it makes it more of a de- not an imperative but a decree. It says, "You continue to be nourished in grace, and in the intimate knowledge of our Lord Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah. Continue to be nourished." So grace is not something that you get and you put on the shelf. Grace is your daily bread. Grace is what we, we need to feed ourselves on. Because even the, um, the Hebrew writer says, like, meat and food profits you nothing. But be strong in grace. Let's feed on grace. Now, spiritual growth then is yielding to the grace of God and having a passion to know Jesus Christ more intimately. In time, then, we grow in our understanding and better manifest this beautiful image. I like that. We manifest what we behold. We manifest what we behold. People who misrepresent God have a misunderstanding of who God is. That's the only reason. Many of us were there too, myself included. The Passion says, And keep in mind that our Lord's extraordinary patience simply means more opportunity for salvation. Why is God tar- tarrying? Why is he not coming back? Come Lord Jesus, come. I've grown to realize that that's quite a selfish prayer. Because there's many people who haven't yet come. There's many people who haven't yet received. That's just ESCOM, don't worry. Or the lack of ESCOM, isn't it? Second Peter 3.16 says that's what he says in all his letters writing about Paul. When he writes about these things, that these are parts of his letters that are hard to understand. And some people give a wrong meaning to them. These people are ignorant and weak in faith. We've been really on a mission to understand the Bible correctly. Understand the Bible in the proper way. Understand the doctrine of Christ. And this is why. Because Peter writes and he says, if we have a wrong understanding of scripture, people destroy themselves and others. You just heard the testimony from Shane what a wrong understanding of Scripture can, can lead to. Is it two weeks ago that I spoke of apartheid and the wrong understanding of Acts 17:26 that led to the horrors that we now are known for? You see, God is concerned with, with what happened there more so because of the people who was involved. And not because someone was right and someone was wrong. Someone was dead and someone was alive, isn't it? Romans five fifteen, the amplified classic says, "But God's free gift is not at all to be compared to the trespass." I love that. So you think you have a lot of sin, or you? Let's not think of ourselves. We all know someone who's deep in sin, we'll say. Or we know someone who's godless, or ungodly. We know someone who is um, really not living as they should, performing badly, given to substances, bad to their wives. Whatever you might want to fill in there, the word clearly says that no matter how big the trespass, never ever compare God's grace to it. You see, we try and measure up. Like, is grace enough? And the question is wrong. The Bible says, do not even compare it. It says, His grace is out of all proportion to the fall of man. The King James speaks of much more. In Romans 5, it comes up often. Much more, much more, much more. It says, His grace is out of all proportion to the fall of man. (coughs) Jesus didn't come to rectify what Adam and Eve did wrong. He came to give life. Yes, what they messed up, he rectified, but out of proportion, he did so much more. It isn't at all to be even compared. For if many died through one man's falling away, his lapse or his offense, much more profusely that God's grace and the free gift that comes through the undeserved favor, there you have it, of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound and overflow to and for the benefit of many abound and overflow for and to the benefit of many, out of all proportion to the fall of man. So what is it if it's out of all proportion? It's like when you have at work, you're expecting a 10% deficit. We had this the other day. There was some data that we were analyzing, and we were expecting a 10% up or a 10% down, and when we compared the data, it was multiples. It was like four times. Not 10% more or less, it was, say it was 10, then it was 40, not 11 or 9. That's what grace is. Like, you, your mistake is 10, grace is 5 million. Like, it's out of proportion, it is not even to be compared. Because sometimes we think, oh, we just make it. God's grace is just going just gonna to cover it. It's like when someone scratches your car and you wonder if polish will do it. And you realize, no, you need a spray. God gives you a new car. That's grace. You're trying to fix a little mark or a little scratch in your life. God says, well, I give you a new life, a new creation, a new being. No longer according to the flesh. Where do you sin? In the flesh and in the soul. But now you're a new creation. Now you become a spirit being. So now what you've gotten because of grace is not just covering your sin. It has actually given you eternal life. That's why it's not to be compared. So grace is not just the forgiveness of sins, though it includes that. Grace is a new life, a new creation, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Grace is everything that we could never attain for ourselves. Because even the Word says that the law can make no person righteous. So if the law is what? It is by the law we know, have the knowledge of what is good and evil. So the law just takes us back to the wrong tree. So you can be the best law keeper, you're still eating from the wrong tree. This is good news, by the way. But it's going to take some rewiring in our brains, in our thinking. Because we think we are playing this game of life good if we're not sinning. Or we're sinning less than we sinned yesterday. You're on the wrong scoreboard. The Muslims play on that scoreboard. The Jews play on that scoreboard. We have to be different. We are more. We are alive forevermore. By the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness through the one. Not through the many, through the one, to the many. Amen. I love this. Romans 5:15, in the amplified classic, says, "Nor is the free sorry, 16, nor is the free gift at all to be compared to the effect that one man sinned, for the sentence following the trespass of one man brought condemnation, whereas the free gift following many transgressions brings justification. It says, "Those who receive. God's overflowing grace. So your grace is not just for you, there's more than enough, so that what you receive you can now share. What you've gotten you can give. Let's read verse 20 from the Amplified, it says, But then the law came in. Now, the one thing we need to understand, and maybe we'll speak about that a bit more, is where does the law fit in? because galatians tells us where it fits in it says that the law which came 400 years after god made a promise to abraham cannot disannul the promise that god made to abraham but because by the law we have the knowledge of good and evil by the law we can control by the law we can understand by the law we can measure our performance we as humanity like to attain to the law hold on to the law because that's our scoreboard where jesus says this is not a game it's not about your score Because you always lose if you play the law game. Amen? So let's go of the law game and let's live life. But so many people, let's pray to have the Ten Commandments in our schools. What will that do? By the law is the strength of sin. Yes, you'll have more sin in your school. Like someone told me the other day in Christian schools, it's not that less happens, it's just less that happens is spoken of. Because just now, and now we blemish our perfect picture. You know, when we started the Grace Life Church, when the Grace Life Church was started, so many sins came out of the woodworks. So many people started confessing and, and doing things. And, and one of our neighboring churches in town did a series. We've even been caught out by a series on grace. Often caught out by a series on grace. I thought this was what this church was preaching, only to realize it was a series. And then when it ended, it changed. Okay. We cannot have a series on grace. Because what will we be nourished with if we end that series? We need to eat daily of grace. We need to eat daily, be daily renewed and reminded like I showed you earlier. But the law came in only to expand and increase the trespass. What's the purpose of the law? Not for you to keep it. The purpose of the law is for you to show that you need grace. (coughs) The law entered that the offense might abound. This is beautiful. But where? Sin abounded. Sin increased. The law put the focus on sin. So it's taking a magnifying glass, and now going through your life with the law, and now you're saying, Urghatz, I thought I was doing alright, but now it says this, and it says that, and (coughs) excuse me, What did Jesus say? He says, if you just think it, then you've already committed the trespass. So what the Pharisees were doing, they were keeping the law in the flesh. And they were making very sure that they were not transgressing in the flesh. So what they would say is, say the law said you're not allowed to work on a Saturday, the Sabbath. And Sabbath starts when the sun sets. They would say, just to make sure we don't work when the sun sets, let's stop two hours before the sun sets. So that's how they performed. And now they come to Jesus and they say, what is the greatest commandment, or what is this, or what is that? And he says, guys, you're missing the point. He says, if you just think in your heart, then you've already committed murder and adultery. So what Jesus does, he elevates the law into the soul. Okay, But that's yet not where life is. The seat of life is in the Spirit. So when we come into grace, when we receive everlasting life, when we lay down our lives and breathe in His, we are born again, born from above, born in the Spirit, and the old set of rules do not apply anymore. It is like an airplane trying to keep to the K-53 driving standards. That is a Christian born again, spirit-filled, trying to keep the law. You are living in a different dimension. There is no red lights. In the heavens. Now by default, by accident, you will live more holy because now the Holy One lives in you. But you're not living more holy to prove that you're holy. You're living more holy because the Holy One is in you. Because you're growing in your understanding of spiritual realities and now you begin to mortify the deeds of the flesh because your spirit gets the ascendancy. So if you don't know it, Paul writes to the Thessalonians and he says, you are three parts. That was beautiful yesterday. They said in the low response, you had to know spirit, soul, and body. That was one of the first messages that Philip and Rita brought into that town. Spirit, soul, and body. So we are born again in the spirit, and now the spirit is the life source, renewing the mind, giving life to the flesh. But we, when we commit a sin in the, in the, in the, in the, in the carnal, in the flesh... It does not taint your spirit because your spirit is holy your spirit is flying around i mean in the heavenlies but when you commit a, a, a traffic offense it is two-dimensional but now you're born again you're no longer a car you are now no longer a caterpillar you now a butterfly you become like i said god i'm using teaching aids but it's limiting he says don't worry i did the same <laughs> jesus had to use teaching aids amen he used farming and trees. It and, doesn't say God is a tree. But even Psalm 1 says the believer is like a tree. That doesn't mean Peter stands still has a belief. No, it, it is just... He's nourishing and he's drawing and squeezing out for us to get an understanding... So when we say like we are like an aeroplane, doesn't mean we're going to run around like aeroplane, aeroplane. No, we are on a different dimension. Metamorphosis has happened. We have received and we have been created. And what used to be two-dimensional is now three-dimensional. You used to be a flesh and a soul, and now you have a new identity, a new identity, a new seat of life. You've eaten of the tree of life, and now you are ascended into the heavenlies. So now you become a spirit and a soul, but you're, 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 the core of you are, is actually the spirit. Now you are a spirit, who has a soul and lives in a body. Okay? So where do you sin? Well, you can sin in two places. You can sin in the flesh, and in the mind, Jesus shows us. But the law still cannot attain to the dimension of the spirit. Because the spirit gives life. The law is death. I'm quoting scripture, by the way. Like, I might not give you the address, but you can go check it out. Okay, this is so, so important. It says, for grace and God's unmerited favor has surpassed it and increased the more and superabounded. Amen? I'm going to read verse 20 again there from Romans 5. But then the law came in, only to expand and increase the trespass, making it more apparent and an exciting opposition, it actually says. Making you realize that, hey, I need help. Hey, maybe I cannot do this by myself. And that's what Jesus tried to do. He didn't try and condemn them and saying, Hey, if you only think it, then, you, then, you, then you're not making it. He says, Hey guys, I'm here to help. You think you're keeping it, but you're not. Because in the soul, you're committing adultery. You're committing murder. God's grace, unmerited favor, has surpassed it and increased them more. And superabounded. Like, Shane likes to speak about... Um, exceeding the mark and again if we aim to say you need to jump 10 meters to get into heaven not many of us will do it I know I won't make it okay I told you before I made to scrum, not to jump I won't make it I don't know if you will say you need to jump 10 meters let's say just to be a holy let's make it 15 meters we need to jump 15 meters. We're we going to come here, and everyone who jumps 15 meters gets into heaven. That's impossible. Okay? But now, grace says, let's, like, you need 15 meters, I give you 1.5 million. It increases, it superabounds, it far exceeds the requirement. That's really the concept of grace. It's not just covering your sin. It is taking you out of sin into a new dimension, superabounding. That's the word there, superabounding, increasing, surpassing. Verse 21, so that just as sin has reigned, so grace, his unearned, undeserved favor, might reign also through righteousness or our right standing with God. And that righteousness now issues in eternal life through Jesus Christ. You see, the best you can do under the law was not die. Because the wages of sin is death. But now, under grace, it's not about not dying. It's about living eternally. You see, it's a whole different dimension. Now, we're not trying to attain to our holiness. And you know what? The law makes you so selfish. So self-centered. Because you're always going to save yourself first, before you go out. And that's what that picture of those churches have, where all the holy people sit on one side because we just want to get into heaven. And then, We don't want to offend God. We don't want to offend anyone. So we'll rather keep the door closed on the leper than touch him. Because the law said if you touch a leper, you become unclean. And Jesus shows up and says, guys, let me show you a different way. If I touch the leper, the leper gets clean. I'm not getting unclean. He was operating under the law, but under a different dimension, the spirit. And he knew that the ascendancy was not in the flesh, nor in the soul, but in the spirit. So he woke up and he said, I'll touch the leper. And he did not become unclean. How many times did Jesus heal on the Sabbath, breaking the law? But he showed us that, hey, healing comes in rest. Not our doing, but his. But where sin abounded, grace did much more. Okay, so in Romans 5, it's really an awesome place to camp. Romans 5 and 6, it speaks of in verse 17 of a superabundant grace. And then, now, Paul goes on, and he uses the word "hyper" or "hyper," making grace "hyperpericio." Hyper grace is biblical. Okay, superabundant is hyper-grace. Now people, what they mean if they say we can't be hyper-grace is like just live in sin. Well, you can, but you shouldn't. Paul even writes and he says, all things are lawful to me. Because I'm no longer living where the K53 applies. I'm living in a different dimension. So if you're going on the R300N1 interchange... And let's say they put a red robot there. You need to stop when the light turns red. My three year old knows that. Okay? But if you're flying over in a helicopter or in an airplane and you try and stop when you cross that interchange, you're in trouble. Because the airplane's not meant to stop, is it? What happens when an airplane stops? Okay, so that's why Paul says all things are lawful unto me. Because I'm no longer living in that realm. But he says not all things are beneficial. Okay, Don't cheat on your wife. It's not beneficial. It's stupid. You're forgiven stupid, but don't do it. Okay, You'll hurt people. And then what we do with Christianity is we think it's a ticket to heaven, or some people call it fire insurance. Okay, And what we do with that ticket, we think of Monopoly. That's that get out of jail card, get for free. And we put it in our back pocket. And we'll take it out when we die. But we're gonna live this life as if nothing has changed. We're gonna live this life because I'm once safe, always safe. Yes, I have it, and then I'm just gonna go be about roundabout. Where if grace really gets you, it impacts you, you cannot help but tell others. Who who had a really good Black Friday deal like that you saw? Something really good. There were some. <coughs> I'm not gonna condemn you. Anyone? Just put up your hand. You saw something. Okay. Did you feel like telling anyone? You told everyone. Why? It was good. That's exactly what Grace is doing. She didn't tell anyone because she had to. She didn't tell anyone because anyone was keeping score. She told everyone about this amazing deal because it was an amazing deal. We can tell everyone about amazing grace because it's amazing. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Amen? I was blind, but now I see. Oh, how grace has saved a wretch like me. The problem is you're no longer a wretch. You've been glorified, dignified, justified, eternally fired. Is that a word? Let's put it, as a pastor, you can create some words, can't you? You've been given eternal life. Why not tell some people? Lisa Anya, I'm sure you were walking around in Belgium and you were like, Why don't these people want this? It's so good. Amen? It's changed us so much. It's changed me. This is the reason I'm preaching this morning. Not because I planned on a career to be here. I gave up a career to be here. Because the career is is boring. I do some exciting stuff, but it's boring. Even in ministry, I've been thinking about, should we do more business leaders? Should we do more of this? Should we focus more on this? I was like, I don't care about anything but the gospel. If you're on my business leaders group, whenever I share a message, it is to encourage you to share the gospel in your workplace. Sorry. If you want consulting advice, you can pay for that. No, I'm joking. I am excited about what has changed me. Why not be excited about the, the hyper-purisio? hyper grace more than enough amen I used to live in grace is just enough for next week or the next nachmal I'm not trying to, to bad mouth anyone remember people ask me why do you think of this church and that church I say I don't know because I'm not there I'm here but I know where I was and I know where I'm now and I know where life is amen the grace life I used to be in a church called Life Church once for a while. I said the only thing they missed was grace. Because that is the life. That is the source of life. That is where we get what we need. Amen? Hyperparisio. And you can find it there in the Greek. Superabundant. Sin really is not the issue. For us, it is because we've been raised, like I said, to this performance based reality. Yet that is not Christianity. Definitely not. Most definitely not. So let's look up some other verses. 1 Corinthians 13.4 <coughs> 1 Corinthians 13.4 says Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It does not do proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. Love keeps no records of wrong. So when you come for your confession, God says, I don't know what you're talking about. Because love cannot remember what you did wrong. John one twenty nine, The next day, John sees Jesus coming unto him and says, Behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. Whose sin is taken away? The world's. Who did it? The Lamb. Who's the Lamb? Jesus. Not you. Yes, you have to believe. Again, we're not universalists. Everyone's not going to be in heaven with us. That's why we need to mission, why we need to tell them, invite them to this reconciliation. The very next day, John saw Jesus coming to him and he, to be baptized, and John cried out, Look, there he is, God's Lamb. He takes away the sin of the entire world. He lifts off the burden of sin, the Greek says. Lift up and away as an anchor of a boat from the ocean floor. That which held us back, sin, the Lamb came and he said, lift the anchor, my people should be free. Lift the burden, let them move. 1 John 2, verse 1. You are my dear children, and I write these things to you so that you won't sin. But if anyone does sin, okay, you shouldn't sin. That's what people think hyper grace is. That's a license to sin. Paul says, God forbid. It's stupid to sin. You're forgiven, but it's stupid. If anyone does sin, we continually have a forgiving Redeemer. Who is face to face with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So, don't sin. But if you do sin, Jesus is not disappearing. The sacrifice not need to be re-sacrificed. The payment is made. Amen? You know what? All our sins were future from the cross. So all our sins are forgiven future. It's a, it's a down payment. It's a future payment. When Jesus paid, he paid for you and me for all the sins we would still do. Now we think, oh, come get born again. And now you need to keep it clean, because now you've been washed once. You know, if you read, really study the Greek about the ever-cleansing blood, ever, it really ever cleanses. It's like Teflon. You get a new Teflon suit, and that cannot be blemished. Like, the, 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 the stains do not last, it doesn't stay on. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. If you are not disagreeing with me this morning, please write down the scripture references. God's word translation says, he is the payment for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world, the entire world. The message says, I write these to you, dear children, to guide you out of sin. I'm sinning less since I got saved, honestly, (laughs) because I'm less sin-focused. I'm not trying to sin less, it is just a default because I am more righteousness-focused, God-focused, forgiven-focused. Now what happened is to be, I used to sin and feel bad, and then you continue in sin because now you're a victim. But now I know, hey, I make a mistake. I'm still the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm still one with Him for all eternity. Sorry. And if I hurt someone, I'll say sorry. And then you go on with life. Amen? We have this priest friend in the presence of the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. When He served as a sacrifice for our sins, He solved the sin problem for good. I like that. And He says, not only ours, but the whole world's. So the whole world had a sin problem. And Jesus dealt with it for all of us. So how do you get saved? You believe in the words I've just spoken to you. That I cannot do this, but He did it. I had a sin problem with the rest of the world. And when I realized that Christ died so that I can have a life eternal with Him, I believe in my heart that that is true, that God raised Him from the dead, that He is not dead, therefore I can have eternal life. I confess with my mouth, it's not a sinner's prayer, it can be, it doesn't have to be, The guy on the cross next to Jesus didn't give the sinner's prayer, did he? He wasn't baptized, was he? Yet Jesus said, you'll be with me in paradise. So we've made Christianity a lot of things that it's not necessarily required. Okay, There's some good things that we've done, and that's discipleship, and it's maturity, and it's coming to church, and it's meeting up regularly, and all those things. But Jesus died and paid for sins, Amen. so sin is not the problem. What is the problem? And I'll close with this. <coughs> there is a problem. When well, I say, Houston, we have a problem. There is a problem. But it's not sin, as we think. What is the problem? John sixteen seven gives us the problem. It says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient or beneficial for you that I go away. For if I do not go away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Okay? Verse eight And when he is come, who the Comforter, he will reprove or convict the world of sin, of righteousness and of judgment. Saint Peter. Because there we have it, the Holy Spirit is gonna convict of sin. Let's just do this. Put down the handbrake. Because if you pull up the handbrake at that verse, you're gonna miss out. You have to put down the handbrake and read on. Because now John is going to explain to us what Jesus just said. Or Jesus is explaining himself. He says, you see here, um, what is sin? What is righteousness and what is judgment? Because that's what we're speaking of. When the Holy Spirit comes, after Jesus has left, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness and judgment. And so many people have ministries based on that. Messages based on that. YouTube channels, books, books are full of messages of people who did not read past this verse. Convicting sin, calling sinners to repentance. What is the sin that we should be repenting of? Let's look at the Bible. And when he has come, he will reprove or convict the world of sin, of righteousness and judgment. Of sin, there you have it, verse 19, because they believe not on me. So the only sin, I'm going to say this again, the only sin that according to Jesus, the Holy Spirit will convict you of, is unbelief. As your heart grows soft, and as you realize the wrongs that you've been doing, and as you read the Word and it cuts behind the intentions and the thoughts of the heart, you'll realize that, hey, this is what I'm doing, it's not good. Okay, But that's not the job of the Holy Spirit. That's maturity. That's a softened heart. That's becoming sensitive. What the Holy Spirit is doing is saying, hey man, you are not believing in Jesus. That's the only sin that gets people into hell. Let's take it for a moment. Noah and the eight, or Noah and the seven, were they holy? Were they living upright lives? Well, we don't really know before, but we have a picture after, don't we? when there's incest and drunkenness and all kinds of trouble, why did they not drown in the flood? There's only one reason why they did not drown in the flood. Because they were on the boat. That's deep, isn't it? That's profound. That's how simple Christianity is. No, I cannot believe in a God who's going to send people to hell. No, He's not sending anyone to hell. He's inviting everyone onto the boat that's all he's doing and that's what we're partaking with we're going to Belgium to say hey get on the boat there's a flood coming did not say God caused the flood even hey get on the boat now I want to clean up myself first you're going to, you're going to drown dirty man What else? you can be clean and still drown get on the boat now I don't believe it's going to rain I don't believe the boat will last. I don't believe Jesus is enough. I don't believe this grace stuff. I don't believe... It's it's too good to be true. I'd rather be on the boat. Inviting others onto the boat with me. And then they commit all the sin they want afterwards, but they didn't drown. Because they were on the boat. It's the sin of unbelief that caused the people of all to drown in the flood. They did not believe in Noah's message of righteousness, which was get on the boat. That's all we have to give. Yeah, but I want to do this right and do that right and say sorry to this person and go there and do that. It's going to rain. Get on the boat. You know, I had this thinking. I had some warp thinking that I really hope that I have a long deathbed because it gives you more opportunity to be right with God. Think about it. Growing up as a teenager, I was like, I don't want to die in a car crash. I would rather die with cancer because then at least I have time to, to make right with God. But then I was afraid and fearful and not as bold as I'm now because I was unsaved. So I, I, I didn't bet on that because I understood a little bit about probabilities and you don't really have any guarantees that you won't walk across the road and get hit by a bus. So I lived a fearful Christian life which was dead and which was technically unsaved. But which was trying to keep me right with God. Which was really not effective for the kingdom. Neither was it a good testimony of who Jesus is or what he came to do. And then I got saved. And I am thinking, whoever would not want to be on this boat. Now it's not, A, hey, I'm missing out on life. No, I have life. You see, we, we grow up with this thing and this thinking, or I did at least, that if we come to Christ, we give up on so much fun. All the cool kids sit at the back of the bus, or the Christian kids sit in the front of the bus. Where does the fun stuff happen? Don't be so holy. You know what I'm talking about. Where do you think Jesus would sit on the bus? Your high school bus that went to that athletics thing and came back at one in the morning, where do you think Jesus would have been on that bus? When your Corsais went on tour, where do you think Jesus would have been? Because wherever he went, he didn't become dirty. But they called him as a drunkard, a wine burber, a friend of sinners, if you don't know yet. I read something brilliant yesterday, it says... Just because Jesus sat with them, with sinners didn't mean he sinned with them. That's where we, we need to be careful, obviously. Because what is our testimony? You come to a Grace Life wedding, we have more fun than most weddings. Yet you don't need to be drunk. Because we are alive. We are alive forevermore. We are full of joy, full of the Spirit. And we are celebrating the gift of marriage. Amen? The sin... Of unbelief. Of righteousness. The Holy Spirit will convict you of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. And of judgment. There you have it, Peter. Because the Prince of this world is judged. So the Holy Spirit has a job and it will tell you and invite you to believe in Christ. Invite you to live according to His righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5 21 says he who knew no sin became sin so that we could be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus that's what this is referring to and then of judgment not because you are judged but the prince of this world is judged (coughs) yeah but I'm struggling with sin and I'm struggling with the devil and he's tempting me and he's deceiving me and don't struggle remind him of his judgment remind him that it's past tense and that he's done for Listen to the Passion, that says, But here's the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go, the divine encourager will not be released to you. But after I depart, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will expose sin and prove that the world is wrong about God's righteousness and his judgments. I love that. You need to read it right. The Holy Spirit is telling you this morning that maybe, maybe, maybe you've understood wrongly how God sees sin and sinners. How God goes about righteousness and judgment. Because the sin is to refuse to believe on Him. God's righteousness is available because the Father and God has sent the Son, who has done the work, completed what He had to, so that He can now be with God in the power and authority, and His righteousness is now ours. And then there is this concept called judgment, because we have to be reminded constantly that the ruler of this world, dark world has already received His sentence. The Holy Spirit is not judging you. The Holy Spirit is not convicting you if you're a believer. The Holy Spirit might be reminding you of your righteousness. He might be reminding you that the prince of this world has already been judged. And he will remind you that the only message and the only job we have is to bring unbelievers into faith. We call sinners unto repentance. What's your language. That's not wrong. But you might mean it wrong. Let me just clarify what I just said. If we call sinners unto repentance, we have to bring unbelievers into faith. That's what sinners into repentance is. And we've confused the word repentance with confession. The word repentance means to change your mind, change your thinking. Go in another direction. Not confessing your sins, like telling everyone that what you've done wrong. Again, Go study the Bible, please. Look at these verses. Look at these words. See what God's heart is. Because God's heart is for people, including sinners. Paul writes to Timothy and he says, This one thing is true. That Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners of which I am chief. We don't agree about anything this morning. Let us agree about the words that Paul writes to his son in the faith. And he says, This one thing is true. Jesus came to save sinners. Jesus did not come so that sinners could save themselves. So I don't know where you fill yourself on the spectrum. But I know that I tried and I failed, and then I received and accepted. And I tell people I'm gloriously saved. <laughs> and then I'm so sure that I'm saved that like, you cannot convince me otherwise. Because I knew I was depressed, fearful, anxious, dead. Now I'm alive, free, bold, full of purpose and life. And Like say, said, like, we have to tell them because it's such good news. An invitation to your purpose awaits when you start speaking about the goodness of grace. The superabundant, high progress of our lord jesus christ won't you stand with me father we just thank you we thank you for the words that give life we thank you for the words that make free we thank you for the words that elevate us into a spiritual reality and realm thank you lord that you are about goodness, you're about forgiveness, you're about belief, you're about um, righteousness, justification of life. You came to take away the sins of the entire world, Father, that whosoever believes will receive. Whosoever believes will receive. John 3.17 says, for Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Like I said, I don't know where you are this morning, but if you've never been saved, this is your moment. This is your invitation. This is your Father calling on you, knocking at your door and saying, Hey man, stop trying. Just believe. Stop confessing. Just repent. Stop dying. Just start living. Just receive. Believe and receive. Believe and receive. Whatever wrongs you've had or still making, whatever you're stuck with or struggling in, like God has made you free from that. The payment of Jesus was more than enough. The Holy Spirit is not convicting you of how bad you are. He is convicting you, convincing you that you need Christ. You need the payment. You need grace. Wherever sin increases, grace superabounds. You see, there's really no other way than the radical way when you speak about grace. It is a radical, life-giving, eternity-altering message. It's all it is. But guess what? It's all we have. And it's all we've been mandated to preach. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation, to everyone who believes. To everyone who believes. Amen? What a message. What purpose. What life we have. What mission we get to be a part of. And I trust this morning that I've stirred just a little bit in you. Of this passion that's bubbling inside of me. Of amazing, amazing, amazing grace. And as we get our heads around it. I trust that our lives will look different. We'll have less issues, fewer struggles, more freedom, more purpose, less anxiety, more life. Amen. You can find more of our free teachings on our website www.gracelife.ca. And if you're ever in the Stellenbosch area, we invite you to join us for one of our gatherings. Our aim is to help you discover Jesus. Find family and experience love. To contact us or to find out where and when we meet, visit our website www.gracelife.ca